The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Low snap, Stanley over the middle, has his receiver, the tight end. Applauds. 14 plays, 76 yards on fourth down. Stanley to Fance, his third touchdown catch of the season. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Scott Docterman, who looks back at the Hawks' 31-14 win over North Texas and previews this week's Iowa-Penn State Big Ten opener. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Penn State's James Franklin. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of Land of Ten. And Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chemeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights this week are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Anish Shroff and Ahmad Brooks. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeye's Mike programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. Iowa 3-0, 0-0, returns to Kinnick Stadium Saturday evening under the lights to host fourth-ranked Penn State, also 3-0 this season, to open the Big Ten year. Iowa has defeated Wyoming and North Texas at home and Iowa State on the road. PSU has topped Akron, Pitt, and Georgia State, all in Happy Valley. This is the annual ANF game, America Needs Farmers, and it's also the annual Black and Gold Spirit game, and former Iowa and Vikings star Chad Greenway is the ANF honoree this year. Kirk Ferentz is the dean of college coaches in his 19th season as Iowa head coach. His overall record is 150 and 113. He's 138 and 92 at Iowa. He's just five wins shy of tying legendary Hayden Fry as Iowa's winningest head football coach. The Nittany Lions head coach James Franklin is in his third year at Penn State, where his record is 25 and 15. His overall record as a head coach is 40 and 30 spanning six seasons. This will be Franklin's first trip ever to Kinnick Stadium. This is Penn State's first road game of the season. You can argue that Iowa's non-conference opponents have been tougher than the teams PSU has faced, which have a combined record of just two and four. This will by far be the toughest test yet this season for the Nittany Lions. Three key questions come to mind for this game. One, how much does revenge motivate the Hawkeyes after last year's 41-14 blowout loss at Penn State and Saquon Barkley's post-game comment that the Hawkeyes quit when they fell behind. Two, and if that does serve as motivation for Iowa, especially for the defense, will it actually make any difference when the Hawkeyes line up against the fourth-ranked Nits in Iowa City Saturday night? And three, which offensive style will prevail in this game? Iowa's long, time-consuming scoring drives versus Penn State's quick-strike big-play explosiveness. 
Interestingly, Iowa is dominating time of possession, averaging 35-35 per game, while the Nittany Lions are holding the ball for only 24-08 on average. Yet PSU is averaging 47 points and 469 yards per game, while the Hawkeyes are sitting at 33 points and 398.3 yards per game. This contest is a national telecast on ABC. They're sending their top announced crew of Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet, as usual, Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak handle the duties on the Hawkeye Radio Network, and the game will also be available on Satellite Radio, channels 81 on both XM and Sirius. In game notes, Iowa has won five straight Big Ten openers. Its last loss came at Penn State in 2011. The Hawkeyes are going for their fifth 4-0 season start under Kirk Ferentz. Iowa's also trying to get their 400th home win in the program's history as a varsity sport, and Saturday marks the first time time since 2012 that Iowa opens Big Ten play in Iowa City. The Hawkeyes have won four straight night games at Kinnick Stadium, the most recent coming last year against second-ranked Michigan. Two of those victories came via game-winning field goals at the end, including last year's over the Wolverines. The Hawkeyes have played 14 games under the lights at Kinnick Stadium, and they've won 10 of those. Iowa has won six of the last 10 games it has played against Penn State, though PSU has won the last three. The Hawkeyes have nine wins against eight losses against Penn State since the Knits joined the Big Ten in 1993. And overall, this is the 27th meeting between the two teams. Penn State has a slight 14-12 edge. The Nittany Lions are just 11-13 when opening Big Ten conference play. Iowa has faced off against Penn State three times to open the Big Ten conference season, and the Hawks have won each of those 2002, 2009, and 2009. The Nittany Lions are ranked fourth in both the Associated Press and coaches' polls. Iowa's most recent wins over ranked opponents, including two from last season versus Michigan and Nebraska, both at Kinnick Stadium. And in case you forgot, PSU is the defending Big Ten champion, winning nine consecutive games and finishing last season with an 11-3 record, defeating Wisconsin in the title game and playing in the Rose Bowl. QB Nate Stanley's 10 touchdown passes are the best in a three-game stretch since Chuck Hartley threw 11 in 1987, Chuck Long threw 12 during the 1985 season. Running back Akram Wadley is third in the Big Ten and 13th nationally in all-purpose yards, averaging 170 per game. He has 258 rushing yards and 152 receiving yards, plus 100 yards on kick returns. His 2,681 career all-purpose yards now ranks him 18th in program history. The Hawkeyes are also 6th in time of possession nationally, while the Nittany Lions are 126th. And linebacker Josie Jewell continues to lead the Hawkeyes in tackles with 28, which ranks 3rd in the Big Ten. And looking back at the win over North Texas, our Prefense Defensive Player of the Week, well, I colored way outside the lines on that one and gave it to Iowa's entire offense for building up 40 minutes and 45 seconds in time of possession, with several huge clock-eating drives, especially in the second half. It's very hard for an opponent's offense to score, no matter how high-powered it might be, when that offense is standing on its own sidelines watching for much of the game. Prefence hand sanitizer and surface protectant. Remember, the best defense is Prefence. And TNK Roofing and Sheet Metals Coach of the Week last week, well, a lot of credit is due to both Phil and Brian for that win, but I went with the old head man himself, Kirk. You 
finish non-conference play undefeated for just the seventh time in your 19 seasons. You're climbing ever so much closer to becoming Iowa's winningest head football coach in history. Kirk has ushered in some more new Kirk things, including a different and very effective philosophy on fourth downs. He let the officials know of his displeasure for their poor performance and the incessant reviews last week, but he did so controlling his own emotions. There are a lot of head coaches out there who would not have retained their cool given what went on on the field at Kinnick. Plus, he took a knee at the end instead of tacking on another seven points to look better to the voters in the polls. Well, that's both classic and classy Kirk. TNK roofing and sheet metal, building strong, building safe since 1962. Oh, this is awkward. I'm going to walk. Uh, I'm going to walk this situation off and I will see you later. Nothing to look at. Go back to work, everyone. Don't act like you're not impressed. On third and goal, Kelly Martin. End zone, a touchdown, Iowa! That was the epitome of power football. Three consecutive runs behind the fullback, power football. <laughs> Make no mistake about it where the ball was going. And these two young running backs emerging today as playmakers and guys that this team can trust. How about a 16-play, 87-yard drive that took up almost nine minutes of game clock? <laughs> Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa coach Kirk Ferentz, who was asked about the challenges that Penn State's star running back, Saquon Barkley, presents. Just about everything. You know, he's an outstanding runner, a strong runner, a very fast runner, uh, powerful, uh, 230 pounds they list him at, and also very dangerous in the passing game. So they, they use him in a multitude of ways, and uh, he's very, very tough to contain, run or pass. We're going to have to really work at it, and it's going to take a great team effort to get that done. And, you know, he's one of uh, several guys that you have to, to really be concerned about. They've got uh, good balance. Their uh, receiver guys are all, all very talented. The tight end's a really big threat. Uh, they utilize him in a significant way, and I think the quarterback's really the guy that makes him go. He's, he's the, you know, the center of everything. Kirk talks about PSU's prolific quarterback, Trace McSorley. Yeah, I don't pretend to be an expert, but it seems like he came out of nowhere last year. I don't know. Uh, there wasn't much buzz about him in Chicago, as I recall, two years ago, uh, but probably should have been. And uh, he, he's probably represented their football team because as he got better, their team got better. And you know, it was a little bit of a bumpy road for them early last year. But, uh, you know, uh, when they got into October, they started really clicking and never looked back. I mean, they just had a tremendous season. And I, th- I think his development and his uh, growth and, and comfort out there is really big part of that. Ferentz was asked about the confusion last Saturday, including Akram Wadley's himself, surrounding the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that cost Wadley and the Hawkeyes a touchdown early in the UNT game. Hopefully he's not confused uh, or anybody else is. In fact, I even, you know, and I don't, I don't spend a lot of time reading the rule book, but I did go back and check it just because uh, I, I was a little confused about uh, a couple things I saw in that category on Saturday on tape. So um, if you look at it, it's pretty clearly stated. Uh, obviously, it's not clearly enforced. That, that's the issue because I think we've seen acts, acts like that similar. Uh, and, and I don't by, by any means think that he was taunting anyone or trying to be, you know, showing up anybody. I don't think that was his intent. Uh, but it is in the rule book that that could be called. And, and uh, so we, we witnessed that. So we all learned a lesson. All of us did. And then I think the other thing I learned is it's probably not going to be enforced real consistently. But 
you know, why, why leave the door open for something to be called against you? So we, we all have to be a little bit smarter in that regard. Barrett's opines on playing night games at Kinnick Stadium. You can't help but be excited. Just, you know, I think any of us walk out there, it's, it's always a good, and it's true on the road too. I, there's something about night games. I don't know if it takes you back to when you're in a high school, uh, high school playing and all that. But um, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a lot of fun for everybody to be involved in. And, but, but it's not going to guarantee anything, you know, and we're playing at home. I'd much rather be at home than on the road at night. But we still have to go play. And that, that's what it gets down to. So uh, I think anybody that's human is going to be, their, their juices will be going a little bit on Saturday just because of the, the environment. This seems to be a little bit of uh, extra electricity. But uh, then, then it's our job to keep generating it. We can't. You know, we can't just uh, count on the crowd because they unfortunately can't help us enough, not in this case. Kirk was asked about the key to containing Penn State's quick strike big plays offense. Again, the biggest thing is you have to be sound with your your technique. Everybody's got to be on the same page. That's first things first. And then all that being said, you know, when you play a guy uh, like like a guy that's uh, this running the back from uh, the running back from Penn State, he's going to make some plays on his own because he's not your average back. I mean, he's just a different guy. So you know, if that happens, it happens. You got to keep playing. You know, get up and uh, keep playing. Uh, but what we can't do is just give him stuff that's uncontested. If we do that, we're already going to tell you what the result's going to be. Easy to predict. So and it's the same way with their uh, tight end. You know, he's a big target. He's going to make some plays just with because of his height and see him on film do a lot of that. So you know, that that's a tough matchup. But we're going to have to really try to be smart positionally, that type of thing. To you know, If you just let them go where they want to go, it's going to be really difficult for us. So we're going to have to try to be a little bit disruptive that way. But again, easier said than done. And Ference was asked if quarterback Nate Stanley has developed quicker than anticipated. I, I don't know what we expected, quite frankly. We just expect him to uh, play as well as he can. And um, I think he's done a good job. He's improved. That's, that's the biggest thing. That's the number one thing you hope for. And talked about ball security at the start of the, the deal here. You know, he had his hand in on that and had and another one the other day, you know, so there, those are some painful lessons we're learning there. But he, but he's serious as could be, and we've, we've had some quarterbacks that have been that way. Uh, Drew Tate doesn't come to mind, a little different personality, but uh, most of our guys have been pretty, you know, different, more, uh, you know, conventional study guys. Uh, but, you know, he, he's working at it. He's made some good throws, and I think the, the guys have responded to him. And, you know, I just, uh, you know, I always like to, to throw Tyler in there, too, anytime I talk about Nate, because Tyler's doing a nice job, too. He's practicing well, and I, I told you, the, you know, it was really close. So I really feel like Tyler would be playing pretty well, too, if he was in there. But, yeah, we're, we're pleased with Nate's progress. Yeah, we'll never be satisfied. I mean, he can always get better, and, you know, he's doing a lot of good things, though. Next, we hear from Penn State head coach James Franklin, who talks about Iowa head coach Kurt Ferentz and his Iowa teams. Coach Ferentz, you know, his tenure, uh, one of the more consistent teams in, in, in all of college football. You know, you look at, you know, you look at what they've been able to do, not only against Penn State in our last 10 games, but also against ranked opponents. You're talking about a blue collar team that takes a lot of pride in their fundamentals and their techniques and being sound and how hard they play. You know, really, in some ways, similar to our history and our traditions. You know, you think about last year after, after you know, they came and played here the next week, you know, a night game. I remember watching it last year, and, and they upset Michigan, who I think, I think was number five at the team at their place. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a tremendous challenge. You know, there's no doubt about it, and, and we're looking forward to it. Franklin was asked about concerns he has for his run defense and the problems Iowa's offense poses in that regard. Yeah, I think, you know, 
after going back and watching the tape, you know, I, I would love to see us give up a, a few less yards, but most importantly, we're getting turnovers and keeping people out of the end zone. But yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously this is what Iowa prides themselves on is, is, is running the ball and being really physical up front. Coach Ferentz is, is one of the more well-respected uh, line coaches in the country from his NFL time, as well as, you know, his, his teams. Uh, they've always been, they've always been great up front. So yeah, it's going to be a challenge. You know, they're a big tight end team. They got one of the better running backs in the country, a uh, young man out of New Jersey. Um, so it, it's going to be a challenge. There's no doubt. You know, it, obviously it's a little bit different. You're not, you're not facing a team that's, you know, uh, a spread team or an RPO team. They're more of a traditional offense, you know, like a, like a Michigan, like a Michigan State, like a Stanford. Um, Iowa's going to get up and they're going to line up and they're going to try to pound you from multiple personnel groups. Um, they're probably, with Brian now being the coordinator, they're probably a little bit more multiple when it comes to motions and shifts, but they're going to try to run the inside zone on you. They're going to try to, you know, if they feel like they got leverage, they're going to try to run the stretch play on you and get on the edge and cover guys up and the back's patient enough to find a seam and then hit it. Uh, we've all seen that he's a playmaker, you know, and then they got a big strong arm quarterback that they're able to take advantage of, of off the play action pass. So, you know, it's going to be a real challenge for our defense. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Franklin was asked about the progress his team's running game has made and whether he sees that in the stats or the eye test or both. I think it's it's probably a combination of both, um, but I also think the eye test is important because you know you you look at what people are doing to defend us with the number of guys in the box. With um, you know last week, people you know basically aggressively run fitting us, not allowing us to stay on the double team and running the linebackers through the A or B gaps. Uh, you know, and and you got Will Fry starting at guard for the first time, and as coaches, we're telling them to get as mo- much movement on the double team as you possibly can up to the linebacker well as he's trying to do that the linebackers screaming through the hole um and and coming clean you know so um you know it's 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 a process you know I think obviously when you have moving parts and you have a guy starting for the first time in there you know there's there's some uh, there's some growing pains that you're going to have with that um, but I also think like I said in the beginning I also think it's a factor that people go into games just like we go into games saying that we're not going to allow this guy to beat us we're going to force this player or this scheme or whatever it may be I mean that's that's football 101 for defensive coordinators they're going to try to make you one dimensional so if you're a team that throws the ball all the time they're going to drop eight make it difficult for you to to throw into those those you know scenarios or if you're a team that prides yourself on running the ball they're going to try to take that away from you Uh, you know whatever your strength is you try to take that away from them and and make them beat you with what is considered not their strength so I think a lot of people are saying obviously Saquon Barkley is a special player and you know our whole defensive game plan is going to be about stopping him and forcing other players to beat you you know for us we're fortunate because we we have a number of players that I think are weapons and, and, and that we can beat people with, which makes, which makes that a challenge. But I think, once again, if you had to choose, you're going to say you're going to do everything you can to, to stop Saquon Barkley. Or you're going to play just soft and keep everything in front of you and say, okay, he's going to get his runs, but he's not going to get a 50-yard run. They're going to get their passes, but they're not going to get a 50-yard pass. You, know, you kind of have one, one of two different philosophies that you see week by week different people take. James Franklin addresses the fact that his star running back, Saquon Barkley, is seeing increased touches this season and about PSU's overall offensive scheme. 
Yeah, I think it's. I think a lot of it is scheme. So, and don't take that the wrong way. I mean, I, I don't need to sit here and probably say to you guys that Saquon Barkley's pretty good. I mean, so when I say scheme, I'm not taking anything away from Saquon. But my point is, is with what we do in the run pass options, he's usually running into good looks where now he's one-on-one with a safety or a corner. And now it's his job to block that, that one-on-blocked defender and make a big play. And he's really good at that, obviously. So I think that's, that's a factor. I think, you know, he is two years ago, I think we all remember he had a bunch of explosive runs where he would get caught and he said in the off season, you know, that's, that's an area I want to improve. I want to be able to finish runs and things like that. So that's a factor. What is our, our identity? That's our identity. We're an explosive big play offense in the passing game and in the run game. And if you're if you're if you're looking to watch a three yards and a cloud of dust offense, then this this probably isn't this probably isn't the, the, the scheme for you. But I would also I'd also make the argument that was one of our big off season studies is how do we get better with four minute offense? And you know, you read all the coaching books from the beginning of time and you go to all the clinics and four minute offense is your you run the ball, you milk the clock, and, and you win the game on your terms, and you line up in victory formation of 22 personnel. You take the snap from under center, which people tell me that all the time, and then you kneel it down, and you flip the ball to the official, and the game's over. Well, I think one of the mistakes that we made last year is we tried to be a four-minute offense in four-minute situations, and that's not who we are. You, you can't say at a critical time in a game, we're going to now become something that we never are. So for us, it's not losing our identity in short yardage, third and one, fourth and one, third and two, fourth and two situation. Not losing our identity. Just because it's third and one doesn't mean you have to cram it up in there uh, where there isn't a hole. You know, it doesn't mean you have to run the ball every play in four-minute offense. Now, you have to throw high percentage passes and things like that. But I think that's one of the things that I think we looked at it. You know, let's really own our identity. You know, that's one of the things that I love about, you know, being a head football coach is all the different personalities that I get to deal with every single day on the coaching staff and with the players and one of the things I've always been is I've always been attracted to people that own who they are you know they're either really cool they're really really weird and I love those people I love the people on the extremes that kind of own who they are and they're very comfortable in their own skin and I think that's what we have to do on offense and defense and special teams that doesn't mean you can't identify weaknesses and areas you say you want to get better at but but also owning who you are, owning how you're going to handle situations at the end of game, owning how you're going to run your offense, defense, and special teams, owning those things. I think there's a lot of value in that. And Franklin talks about Iowa's visiting team, Pink Locker Room. Um, Obviously, one of the cooler kind of historical things in college football and from a tradition standpoint is their Pink Locker Room. I think it's awesome. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it with our guys. I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to, um, I'm going to talk to our guys about it being a really, really nice gesture um, by the University of Iowa to welcome Penn State since our original school colors are pink and black and how wonderful it is and what a, you know, what a wonderful gesture it is that they painted their locker room pink for us. So I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I'm going to say it that way, kind of you know, have fun with it, and then just kind of move on. Now it's time to hear from some of the Iowa players as they prepare to face the Penn State Nittany Lions. First, quarterback Nate 
Stanley, who was asked how helpful it was for him to be the number two QB last season as a true freshman in terms of his development and role now as the starter. I think it helped a lot just being able to take the couple snaps that I did, um, just to be able to know the difference between practicing games because, I mean, there is a little bit of, of a difference between the two. You know, also just being able to travel, you, you get in the routine, you know the routine of everything that's going to happen. So, you know, just being able to, to know what's going to happen and know the routine definitely helps you to stay more focused for game day. Linebacker Bo Bauer was asked if the stinging loss last year at Penn State is in the back of his mind as he prepares for Saturday's game. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's a, it always leaves a sour t- taste in your mouth. But again, we're the 2017 Hawkeyes of the 2017 um, Nittany Lions. So, you know, it's a new year and we just got to come ready to play. And linebacker Josie Jewell was also asked about how last year's loss to the Nets can impact this year's preparation. I mean, you always look at the last year tape from any team, um, especially if you lost. I mean, it sucks. You look at the tape and uh, you just try to fix the things you did wrong um, and trying to go to the week, you know, hungry. Kelly Martin in the backfield. He gets the call. First down, touchdown. Now the two young running backs, true freshman Ivory Kelly Martin and a redshirt freshman Torn Young, answered the call when Butler and Wadley went down. Can't say enough about Kelly Martin and his ability to, to get skinny and to squeeze in those little tight creases and to make things happen. And when he cuts, he cuts still with that power that's necessary to get up field. He's doing a good job today. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook segment this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at landof10.com. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at the North Texas game, and he previews this Saturday's Penn State contest, discussing Iowa's punch list for success in Kinnick Stadium. Scott, a nice win last Saturday at Kinnick Stadium for the Iowa Hawkeyes over North Texas. But it certainly was one of the more weird games that we've seen recently played in Iowa City and primarily due to some questionable officiating and seemingly endless reviews. Yeah, it was just a game that never really got any momentum. That was really unfortunate. Uh, You look at, uh, you know, from the very first drive for Iowa, um, you know, first there was a touchdown called, Nick Easley scoring for the third straight game and then fumbling apparently right before he crossed the goal line and looked inconclusive inclusive to me and it was called a touchdown on the field but the officials felt otherwise then you have a touchdown called back from Akram Wadley for uh, skipping a little bit to the end zone um, you know certainly that's a punishable by death crime in college football it appears so they certainly did that gave him the death penalty on the field and then uh, you know the way North Texas just zoomed up the field in the, on its first drive and then you know there was the other drive was marked by a couple of penalties that were I think still questionable 
cool. So it was just really kind of a yucky game. It's not one that's going to hit the uh, iClub circuit in the spring, that's for sure. Iowa's defense was kind of a mixed bag again, but the good side of that is that uh, even though they trailed 14 to 10 at the half, the defense shut out the mean green in the second half and looked like it got stronger the longer they played, although in fairness, perhaps the best defense, and in fact, we gave our uh, our prefense defensive player of the week to Iowa's offense for its long sustained drives, clock-eating monster drives in the second half that kept North Texas's offense off the field. That was the most important thing, and that's that's something that, you know, pretty much every game, you know, you go in it for Iowa thinking, this is the way to go. You know, if you can keep their t- offense off the field, if you can eat up clock, you know, chew up the opposition, that's the way you're going to win or, or keep yourself in the game in some respects. So, I think that was part of it. I think the other part, and I don't know that people have looked at this enough, but Iowa replaced its safety, uh, free safety after the first drive, and it went from allowing, uh, you know, 80 80 yards to to 225 the rest of the game. And I think that had a major impact. The only other scoring drive, again, was marked by two uh, big penalties, and I think both of them were questionable. So um, I think, you know, at the time, it didn't feel like the defense was playing that well, but, but I think overall, you know, it really did have a nice game, especially after that first drive. You're referencing, of course, Imani Hooker, who came in and replaced Gervais back there in the backfield, and it earned him a starting slot here this uh, week in the Penn State game. And the safety play has been a little dicey through the first three games until really Hooker came in there in the second half for Iowa. Yeah, I mean, you, you hate to point it out, but, you know, Jake Gervais gave up, uh, you know, that 74-yard touchdown pass to Hakeem Butler against uh, Iowa State in a you know game in the final minutes uh, what is a tie score and needed a dramatic touchdown Iowa did to, to pull ahead and go, or get into overtime and then you know first drive of the of the next game you know he whips on a tackle that leads to a 41 yard touchdown so you got to make changes sometimes and I think that's a positive one and Ronnie Hooker is a, a big athletic guy a, you know a true sophomore and and uh, seemed to really solidify everything back there I mean pro football focus had him as the highest ranked defender last week in the Big Ten. So if that's a harbinger of something to happen in the future, I think you've, you've got to like what you see. All right, let's turn to this Saturday's game. Big game. Under the lights, Big Ten opener for both Iowa and Penn State. Penn State comes in here with all kinds of superlatives through its first three games, although I think you can make an argument that they haven't played nearly, nearly as difficult a non-conference schedule as Iowa has, and they played all three of their games in Happy Valley. So let's look at Iowa's offense versus Penn State's defense what's the punch list for Iowa to be successful here? I would say uh, you know, Iowa's offense against the defense. I, w- I would probably start with, uh, you know, Iowa has to keep control of the ball, and uh, that's running it. Iowa has a big physical offensive line, a really good offensive line that's now you think probably starting to gel. I think, you know, the first game, you didn't have James Daniels or Boone Myers. Myers rotated in the second game. You had Ike Bucker out for the last game and a half, and he's out for the season. But I think now you're starting to see a little bit more of a gelling there. We saw that in the second half. I think that's a good thing for Iowa. Akram Wadley's healthy or at least uh, able to play uh, despite an ankle injury. So I think the running game is going to be a little more be consistent with that. And, uh, you know, offensively, what they've shown is an ability to to extend drives. You know, field position doesn't kill them, you know, the way that it maybe has, uh, I don't know, every other year. Um, you know, if, if they're inside the 10-yard line, you forget about it but now they're uh, you know on 90 plus drives are customary so I think uh, you know offensively as long as 
they don't turn over the ball, and I think ball security may be the one challenge for for Nate Stanley in the pocket. I, I think they've got a chance to to put up some points and and you know move the ball against Penn State. We've talked about it before, but it's hard if you're an Iowa fan not to like what you've seen so far out of new offensive coordinator and play caller Brian Ferentz. Not only is the offense appear to be a lot more diversified, but as you pointed out, he's calling plays away from uh, formation historical tendencies. He's rolled the dice on more than one occasion that's resulted in big plays. And he's got a series of accomplishments so far in the first three games that have already surpassed uh, Greg Davis uh, last year in, as uh, offensive coordinator. He's, they've scored in 11 straight quarters. The only one they haven't is, is the first quarter versus Wyoming to start the season. They've got five TD drives of 87 yards or longer, nine TD drives of 10 plays or more, 57 combined first downs against Iowa State and North Texas. That's the most in consecutive games in the Kirk Ferentz era. And their average time of possession, which is over 35 minutes, is sixth in the nation. <laughs> yeah, that You've already got them hired by uh, somebody needing a team. You know, Maybe to the, the, the Big Ten team to the West will be looking at that and uh, really start up a rivalry, I suppose. But now, uh, you know, I, I really like the, what he's done because I I thought from day one when he was hired that this was a move to make Iowa more Iowa. And, uh, and I mean that by, you know, what can Iowa do? What are Iowa's strengths? And emphasize those, not just come in with your own philosophy and try to make everybody fit to it. Greg Davis, uh, you know, obviously won a, a national title with Texas and had some great players there, but in, in a good system for that. But it just didn't work in Iowa. Um, you know, I always say you can't get point guards a wide receiver here like you can there, but you got you can get small forward. And I think they know that here at Iowa that, you know, p- players who are possession receivers or big receivers really work. So you want to stretch the field. You want to use the, all the blades of grass. Uh, you know, same thing with tight ends. Get them open on seam routes. You know, hit fades. Iowa just never did that under Greg Davis. It was short passing. And so I think he's able to, to use that. And then as we, we mentioned before, you know, when Iowa was in a two tight end, two running back set, they almost always ran under Davis. And when they were in a three wide receiver set, they almost always passed. You know, a third of those stamps have gone the other way under Greg Davis or under uh, Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz, where, you know, now they're looking at 67 percent of the three wide receiver formations are are passing as opposed to 90 percent. So that's that keeping defenses on their heels. They can defend what they knew was coming and they can't do that as much now. Now he'll get some tendencies and people will spot them. But he's right now he's pushing all the right buttons and he's got, you know, the right talent in the right places. So I think this is a, you know, this is a potential uh, pretty good season on the offensive side of the football. He's certainly giving defensive coordinators more to think about and more to prepare given what we just touched on. Let's focus a little bit on Nate Stanley. This will be his first Big Ten game as a starting quarterback. He's doing surprisingly well as 10 touchdowns, just the one pick, very high quarterback rating over 165. The other thing that's nice to see is that apparently Iowa actually has receivers that can create separation and catch the ball. I mean, he's spreading that ball all over the place, wideouts, tight ends, running backs, and you've seen the emergence of, of some younger receivers too, a couple of tight ends, and uh, Smith-Marset. Yeah, that's, that's really good to see from Iowa's point of view 
that you know they're getting more people involved. And again, I think it's uh, a lot of it is the route running and trying to put the receivers in the best possible position to make plays. They are on the run when they're getting the ball thrown to them. Um, a lot of times under Greg Davis, they were short routes. A lot of times ran at half speed. And for a team that's not real fast or quick, I, I don't know what you're trying to accomplish there. You know, you hope that you get four yards <laughs> at the most. And that's kind of what you were looking at before. But now you're looking at guys who are running routes at full speed using all the whole field, running in between the hash marks. That was a an ignored area, you know, under Greg Davis, you know, hitting the, the tight ends, doing dig routes and, and what have you. I mean, I, I think that's what's important because, you know, the way to gain separation is to keep running, you know, running in a direction. And, and Iowa didn't do that as much. So, but then they also, not to minimize it, they also have a little more speed. I and mean, Amir Smith-Marset is a mismatch because of his speed. And then you look at, uh, you know, Noah Fant, who I think is become going to become the next great tight end at Iowa. And TJ Hawkinson certainly has boosted his profile. And, you know, Nick Easley has come in and been that workmanlike wide receiver that just finding ways to get open. He's kind of like Matt Vandenberg's been, you know, the last century, it feels like. So I, I think really they are putting them, their players in a better chance uh, to be successful. And that's really what it's about as a coach. So I think right now they, they're in a right track. And you've seen him hit Akron Wadley six times already for 152 yards and one touchdown. And a couple of those, that touchdown run that he scored last week and, and the the long catch and run that was uh, the touchdown called back last Saturday, those those are amazing runs after catch. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's definitely going to – there are going to be uh, some – in the NFL next year come draft time, you're going to see a lot of those highlights, and rightly so. I mean, you know, he was good on some screens last year, but but now they're they're get, delivering him the ball where he has a chance to run. Sometimes they were short passes last year that he had to make a lot of jukes, and he did that a little bit. But, you know, I, I look at the Iowa State play where, I mean, Stanley delivered that ball in the perfect location where he was running in that direction. It hit him in the hands that he could keep running uh, versus, you know, at times just schematically, you know, he had to make moves in the past. And and so I think that's really important. And, and you look at Akram Wadley and, you know, he's got blazing fast, fast speed. You know, he outran the whole entire defense to put himself in a position to, uh, you know, skip a couple of times into the end zone last week. And unfortunately, um, you know, that's, you know, when you run go 25 and a half and a 25 in University Heights, you usually get a ticket. And that's kind of the same way it was for Akron Wadley the other day. Let's talk about the running backs for Iowa. For a little bit there last week, it looked like the old running back curse might be coming back. They played the entire second half without Wadley and without James Butler, who suffered a serious elbow injury, unfortunately. That gave an opportunity to both true freshman Ivory Kelly Martin and redshirt freshman Torin Young to get their first significant playing time. And both of those guys looked pretty good. That was, to me, one of the most important things that they needed to do before the game was just you know, increase their depth, you know, make sure the guys see the field because you, you as we know, you know, injuries happen and, and it did in that position. So I thought it was really good exposure for them to combine for 30 uh, carries for, you know, 152 yards, I believe it was. And, and Kelly Martin really showed his burst and ability and scoring two touchdowns. And despite being a little smaller than uh, Torin Young really showed some power. And then Torin Young, it reminds me so much of Marcus Coker. 
receiver. Big, strong, good feet, you know, not necessarily quick, not necessarily athletic, at, you know, for that position, but, you know, sturdy and dependable. And, and what we're going to see is they're not going to be able to run Akram Wadley 25 times a game in the Big Ten, you know. You're not against Penn State, certainly, and definitely not against Michigan State the next week. So you're going to need those guys. And, and the fact that they're on the field, they've gotten hit, they've played against a defense, and they've had success, I think will really help them in the future, you know, in the not only in the future, but also coming up this week. Penn State's defense comes in giving up about 273 yards per game. That's 22nd nationally. They're allowing just 4.7 points per game, which is second in the country. Uh, Iowa, as you mentioned, will have to be able to run the ball effectively, but also importantly is the balance it's been able to demonstrate so far this year. Do you expect the Nets to load the box, and even though Iowa's shown success in the passing game, to, to force Stanley to try to be successful in that regard before you might see some scoring? I think they're going to try, but I, I, I think now that the, the word's out that Iowa not only can throw the ball, but they can throw the ball deep. That uh, Stanley has a gun for an arm. He's not afraid to use it. You know, even, you know, I think sending a message, even with some of the overthrows, which people have seemed to have gotten carried away with here, just shows that Iowa's willing to do it. And they're not going to be afraid to miss a few times. And, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, Penn State and every other team's going to have to respect. You know, and then I think you look at a little bit at uh, at what the, the teams that Penn State has played, and it's not real impressive. Pitt is not a good team. Pitt got blown out, you know, even worse by Oklahoma State the other day, um, you know, and barely, uh, you know, beat a, a Youngstown State team. And you look at Akron that got throttled by Iowa State last week. And, and uh, you know, so, and, and of course, Georgia State, which is really more of a D2 team than a D1. So, I, you know, I, I think in some ways you're looking at this, uh, you know, Penn State team as, you know, okay, what do you have? At least Iowa's been tested. Iowa's been tested, you know, really by three teams. You know, Wyoming's probably the weakest of the three that I've seen, but they have the best quarterback of the three. Uh, so I, I think in some ways, you know, Penn State's never hasn't played on the road yet, and they're coming to a hostile environment. So I, I'm anxious to see how they handle Iowa as much as I am Iowa handling Penn State. You know, to your point, some of their stats are pretty good, their turnover margin, their sacks per game, their six picks so far. But, you know, they are inflated given, I think, who they've played so far this year. You know, they've shown an ability to be able to stop the passing game of other teams as well as the running game. But like you said, I don't think they faced a team that has shown the diversity and the success so far. And to your point about the overthrows by Nate Stanley, which does seem to be about the only thing people are nitpicking him about so far, I did notice last week versus North Texas, those overthrows were more like inches compared to the overthrows at Iowa State. Those were more like feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think, again, what I've tried to tell people, I don't know, every day is that, look, you know, he's still a young quarterback. You know, he's still got young receivers who've never, they haven't worked with each other a lot. There's a lot of differences between, you know, Smith-Marset's speed and Noah Fant's speed. And, and sometimes it, it's hard to compensate with that as a quarterback until you've done those reps thousands of times. And then you can kind of understand what's going on. You know, it's, even though one person, they're running the same route, you know, you throw one at a little bit farther than the other and a little harder. So, you know, I think that's that's a part of it. And, you know, I really wish Iowa fans would quit complaining about it because I think it's kind of worthless. But, you know, the the one thing is, you know, again, with, with Penn State, and you're looking at Iowa, their offensive line, you know, is starting to come together and starting to gel. We saw that in the second half against North Texas and, uh, you know, and what Akron Wadley could do. And this is a Nittany Lion defense that gave up 150 rushing yards last week to Georgia State. 
and it gave up, you know, 155 to Pitt. These are Pitt is not a good team right now, and Georgia State, of course, isn't either. So, I mean, given going up against a more physical team, I think Iowa's the more physical team. I think that's a challenge in of itself. And if they sell out to the run or if they have to compensate, Iowa can beat them deep. And so that's why I kind of see this game as a shootout right now. After this break, Scott talks the punch list for Iowa's defense and special teams, plus some Big Ten, and he makes his prediction. 40-yard field goal attempt for Trevor Moore, senior from Oklahoma. Kick is up and blocked! The Hawkeyes come up with a blocked field goal. What a momentum shifter as number 15 cornerback Joshua Jackson flying off the edge. Great jump on the ball and the thud. Iowa's football. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663. Let's flip over to the other side of the ball, the punch list for Iowa's defense versus Penn State's offense. Boy, Penn State's loaded with some skill players on the offensive side of the ball. They've been a juggernaut through their first three games and, you know, finished last season with a nine-game winning streak and won the Big Ten title. Their two most potent weapons are obviously quarterback Trace McSorley and running back Saquon Barkley. And then, of course, you have their monster tight end Mike Jacecki, and all three of those guys just burned Iowa badly last year in Happy Valley. <laughs> yeah, and then oh by the way, Deshaun Hamilton's a pretty good player too, a wide receiver. So, you know, they've got, you know, they this is going to be the most challenging offense Iowa plays all year because of that. As you mentioned, uh, you know, let's let's start with Trace McSorley because, you know, yeah, he's not real built real big, he's not real fast, not real strong, but he's good at everything. Uh, I kind of called him a little bit quicker Dan Persa with a better with better personnel around him. So, uh, you know, I think that's something that you look at and go, "Oh, Okay, if you if you're comparing him to Dan Persa, you got you got some issues there, you know. So I think he's one thing he does really well is he carries out his fakes and he doesn't uh, you know continue and he does it on every play, so he's consistent with it. So you can't just ignore him. Oh, he's not doing it this play. No, he's doing it on every play. Uh, he gets the ball out of his hands quick. He doesn't have necessarily a strong arm, but he's decisive and he knows where he wants to go with it. You know, as we said, Mike Gasecki is maybe the best tight end in the country. I mean, he's big, he's physical kind of a, you know, Gronkowski type. Um, so you've got to be on him, and I'm not sure any of the players can really match up. They're just going to have to cover him as best they can because once he gets the ball in his hands, he's dangerous. So, and if he posts you up, he's better than you are. I mean, you know, Bo Bauer, Ben Neiman, uh, Monty Hooker, Miles Taylor, they're in, they're in trouble. I mean, in coverage with this guy. It's just, you got to make sure you're, you're defending your position. You get to the ball before he does. And, and then the best player on the field for both sides is Saquon 
Barkley. I mean, he's he's you know, I remember a few years ago, Iowa played against a ton of great running backs, David Johnson and, and uh, Amir Abdullah and Melvin Gordon and, you know, David Cobb and Justin Jackson, you know, Tevin Coleman, the list goes on and on. And he's at least as good, if not better than all of them. I mean, I think he's a top five pick in next year's draft. He's 225, very quick can do things in and out of the backfield. He if he was in the NFL right now, he'd be a top five running back. So that's that's a huge challenge for Iowa. I think that's where Iowa has to start with this team. I think Iowa has to make sure it's gap sound and has gap integrity up front so he doesn't get any easy holes, easy yards. The tackling has to be better at the second level for Iowa. Um, its linebackers can't get juked. Um, I think they've overrun some plays a lot the last two weeks, and it's kind of surprised me. They can't afford to do that. They have to gang tackle. They have to be there, be in the hole, not let him get loose. So I think that's probably the most important part of this de- team, uh, this defense for Iowa, is to make sure to slow down Saquon Barkley. If he gets seven yards, just let him get seven. Don't let him get 14. Don't let him get 24. And uh, if they can do that, then they then they put themselves in a position to compete possession by possession. Because otherwise, this team can boat race, as we saw last year. Uh, how many times do you think that the uh, word contain written in big giant black letters on signs are, are, is hanging around the football performance center this week because that's certainly critical for McSorley and just the whole way Penn State runs its offense. Oh, absolutely. It's it's probably contain, contain, contain. You know, it's probably just, to, you know, every day it's being beaten to their heads because you got to do it both ways. You know, you got to make sure to contain Barkley. You got to make sure you contain uh, McSorley because he's so good out of the pocket. He's probably as good or better out of the pocket than he is in it. So when he gets loose and if he has an open receiver, he can get it there. And and so and then the, the danger is for defensive backs is holding your position. You know, usually when a quarterback kind of races towards the line of scrimmage, you've got to get up there to stop it. And in this case, you can't do that because if you're Josh Jackson and you're on Deshaun Hamilton and you leave him alone for a split second, you know, that's where, uh, you know, McSorley could hit him somewhere. So you've got to be careful of that. And I think that's the, uh, the among the many challenges for Iowa's defense is to be dis- the disciplined, to contain, and uh, the front four, you know, you've got to you've got to collapse the pocket around McSorley, not let him get out and run around. The other thing defenses have to be aware of is Franklin's been having them run some sets that have both of their one and two quarterbacks in the game at the same time. McSorley, of course, and then backup quarterback Tommy Stevens. And Stevens has been serving as sort of a runner, but a pass threat and receiver. So there's something else to keep in mind. At least be aware of who's in the backfield. <laughs> so, you know, you got to defend McSorley uh, with his uh, aptitude and dual threat responsibilities. Then you got another guy who can do the same thing, you know. And so, therefore, if you're the if you're a corner and and you're looking at him going, okay, I got to, you know, even though the running back has the ball, you still got to defend your receiver. So discipline is crucial. You have an inexperienced, still secondary, you know, that's growing by the week, you know, with, uh, you know, Rugamba and Jackson and, and Ojemudia and, you know, now Hooker in the backfield. But you've got to continue to be patient and disciplined and still still cover your guy, but also hit. So it's, it's going to there's a lot of different arrows getting thrown in their direction and they're not going to be perfect this week. It's just too difficult of a team to defend. And on top of that, they have a veteran offensive line where every starter weighs well over 300 pounds. I'm not sure what Penn State's all-you-can-eat training table costs are, but they're probably pretty high. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so you've got so much to, to worry about here. But I think Iowa's defensive 
line can uh, can handle that, and uh, I think it's uh, something that you know they're just going to have to fight through. I think they've got a good enough defensive line to compete against their uh, the, against Penn State's offensive line. It's just a matter of you know holding their gap responsibility and their in their uh, conditions. Let's turn to the punch list for the special teams. Barkley is also Penn State's leading kick returner. He averages nearly 27 yards per return. They've got a really good punt returner in DeAndre Tompkins. He's over 20 yards per return. On Iowa's side of the ball, you've got Ivory Kelly Martin, who took over the primary kick return duties last week from Wadley, and he did okay on nearly 21 yards on four returns. Racinos continues to be perfect uh, and also really good on kickoffs. Rastetter was better. He showed more leg strength last week, and Penn State counters with both veteran punters, a very good punter, and place kicker. It's going to be, uh, you know, th- this is an area where, you know, Iowa typically needs to, to make something happen in here, and, you know, generally they've thrived against Penn State and in, this, in the special teams area over the years. Now, th- is it really relevant anything beyond last year because these teams don't play regularly anymore? Probably not, but I, right now I like Iowa in, um, you know, the a lot of these areas. I think, uh, you know, the kicking game is, is an upgrade. You know, Miguel Racinos has really come along and, and been a, a threat and, and a consistent player for him. That's that's really been big. And then, you know, secondly, you look at, uh, you know, the, the kick return games. I mean, they flip-flop their guys. Josh Jackson's now returning punts as opposed to Matt Vandenberg and Kel, uh, Ivory Kelly Martin is instead of Akram Wadley. And and I think it's better for that. Uh, simply one, you know, uh, you'd, you'd rather have a corner when you're on defense rather than move a wide receiver out there. But two, you know, limit your touches on Akram Wadley to the point where he's most successful. And I'm not sure he was quite there uh, as a kickoff guy. You know, maybe if he was exclusive or that was one of his primary roles, but I think it's good for that. Now, I'm still questioning punter. Rastetter was better last week, but how much better? And a lot of times these are roles. You know, he's getting the benefit of extra yards because the ball's hitting the ground and people are, are you know, the, the other opponents are moving away from the ball. And I, I think, you know, he's got the potential now that you're getting in Big Ten play, you're playing against better players who, you know, won't be as sheepish towards the ball in the air. I think that's still an area to me where I would consider making a change or at least having, a, you know, a rotation or, because I think Ryan Gersandi uh, has more upside. He's a bigger guy, you know, stronger leg. And, and I would consider that going forward. Quick glance at the Big Ten. Maybe the biggest surprise in terms of struggle so far is Nebraska. They lost again last week to Northern Illinois at home. Uh, the biggest surprise on the plus side is probably how good Purdue looks three games in under their new head coach. Uh, and this week, you've got another chance for Nebraska. They're playing Rutgers again in Lincoln. Michigan is at Purdue. That shapes up to be a pretty interesting game, given what's happened so far. And then, of course, you have Notre Dame playing at Michigan State. Yeah, the intrigue with uh, Purdue is really cool. I mean, you know, this is a team that's been down in the dump since Joe Tiller left 10 years ago. I mean, they've had a, an occasional bowl game, but it's been in, you know, the, the 44th bowl out of 44, you know, a couple of times. And now you're you're talking about a team that, you know, almost beat, you know, Louisville and, and did, you know, beat an SEC team badly on the road and looked good against one of the best MAC teams. And I think people are looking at them going, um, not only is this team better, but this team could be a contender in the West. And that's really hard to say, but it's true. I mean, Jeff Brom already should be coach of the year. He should just fill out the form and send it in and, you know, to put them in there. Now, this will this week will tell you if they are real or if they are fake. You know, they're playing at home and they expect to sell out at, at Ross Aid Stadium, which, uh, you know, I think in all the years I've been there in the last 10 at least, uh, you haven't had a sellout if you combine them all. Uh, 
so that's that's really impressive. They're playing Michigan, you know, which is revamped certainly. But I, I think this could be a very competitive game because Purdue can score and defensively they look much improved. So if this game is close, I think everybody in the Big Ten West should just go. You know what? This isn't the same old Purdue team. You've got to be. You know, this is Purdue circa 2002 and three, not 14, 15, 16. So I think you got to be concerned there. And then you look at Nebraska. I thought Nebraska was overrated going into the season, and I, you know, I did, but I didn't think they were this bad. And you know, Tanner Lee, you know, the the rhetoric coming from Nebraska in the summer was he was the most pro ready quarterback in the country, and he's not the most pro ready quarterback in the Big Ten West. You know, several pick sixes now. Um, you know, what five or you know seven interceptions and five touchdowns. This I'm struggling when I look at this team. I'm struggling to see even a bowl team. Yes, they're going to probably beat Rutgers at home. They're probably going to beat Illinois on the road. But what after that? They don't look better to me than Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin. They play Penn State and Ohio State. Purdue, uh, you know, is a better team than they are right now. So I, I look at this team as potentially a four and eight type of team, and that's uh, and that's not good for them over on that side of the state. So, or you know, I, I think, and then of course Iowa, Penn State, I think is the most balanced matchup um, in in intriguing you know although purdue michigan is certainly up there just because we don't know what purdue is capable of time now for the prediction i posed three questions in the story in my game preview that i just finished writing and i'm going to pose those to you let's not forget the impact of last year's game in happy valley and and barkley's comments about iowa quitting and you could see it in their eyes so the three questions i posed you know the players and and kirk have talked all week about well you know, we're not about revenge, but they can say that. But I think, you know, I think it is a factor. At least payback has to be on their mind. So the three questions I posed, two of them relate to that. How much does revenge motivate Iowa after that blowout loss last year in Barkley's comments? Two, if that does serve as motivation, especially for the defense, will it actually make any difference? And three, it's a completely contrasting face-off of offensive styles here. So which one's likely to prevail? Iowa's long, time-consuming scoring drives or Penn State's quick strike, big play explosiveness? In some ways, it's all tied together. Let's let's start with the revenge factor. Is it revenge? I don't know if, if revenge is the answer for Iowa as much as it's motivation. Motivation that they gave up 599 yards, second worst in the Ferentz era. The fact that they just looked like they weren't even there, um, that they were toying with them towards the end of the game. And then the fact that, you know, the best player in the country potentially said that they quit, you know, which our Bobby LeJess was able to talk to him about. He was the only one at the time. So you've got all of those things tied in. And what you will see is a motivated defense that's not that's not going to be half-ass in anything it does. Now, will that matter? I, I think it will because simply because they will rally better to the football, that they will be more committed to each and every play and making, a, uh, making each and every play count. Out. So therefore, it may not be a perfect game. They may get beat. They may get beat on plays, but I think they'll be more in tune to be an attack physical form. So, you know, that may prevent some bigger plays simply with that mindset. Now, um, I think with Iowa's style of play, you know, I think, you know, methodical will be helpful because it'll keep Penn State off the field offensively. So if Iowa can sustain drives, go up the field, run the football when it wants to, and, and pass when it, and it needs to. I think that helps Iowa's defense as much as it does the offense. But Iowa, you know, the thing is, unlike last year and in, in the past, 
fast. Iowa can hit the big play. Iowa has the quarterback that has the big strong arm, and they have the scheme that that allows that to happen. So I think that's the more potential. And I think this is going to be a close game, and I think it's going to be a shootout. I think both teams have productive offenses and NFL caliber players at a lot of positions on offense. The defenses are good. Um, They're full of good players too, but in this game and this day and age, it's hard to stop offense, especially ones as explosive as these two. So I think Iowa, with it being at home, a night game, atmosphere at Kinnick Stadium, I think Iowa keeps it close. I'm just not sure. I'm 100% sold that wide receivers will be able to make plays against a Big Ten secondary that Iowa's quarterback facing its first really good opponent is going to be able to make plays consistently to keep up. I think Penn State's better. Obviously, it's a top five team. I like the Nittany Lions, but I like this close. So I'm going to go 38-31 Penn State over Iowa. Hasn't been easy. It won't be easy. 31-14 Iowa over North Texas. The Hawkeyes outscore the Mean Green 21-0 in the second half. Iowa now improves to 3-0 and a huge opportunity at home next weekend under the lights of Kinnick. Now they've got Penn State coming to Iowa City next weekend. Nate Stanley, another strong performance. Two TD passes. The backup running backs delivered with Wadley and Butler going down. Our final score, Iowa 31, North Texas 14. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and thanks, as always, to Scott Docterman. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 11 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.